0: Good morning again everybody, good to be with you, let's get myself sorted, great are you Lord, great are you Lord, a song we sung today and songs like that we sing every every week where we sing praises to God because He is in control, He is Lord of all. But is he? Is he actually great? See, there's a question. The biggest question, the most asked question, the biggest challenge to Christianity, bar none. That's what we saw with that little kid's video. Excuse me, God, I have some questions about suffering and evil. And it seems to put you your existence, your sovereignty, under threat. Why, God, why? The focus of today, why do bad things happen? What are you doing? Is God great? These questions challenge us. And these questions are very prevalent today. It became very obvious for us this week, as uh, Jack and I had a fun time this week. Uh, this week at unis, it's uh, uh, Jesus Week, where they have a week where they try and get out and reach, uh, in some ways, uh, to the universities with Jesus. And uh, at Mawson Lakes Campus, uh, Stephen George at t who's um, leading the students over there, got us, in, got us involved with their Jesus Week uh, campaign, and it was called What the Fudge God. And they were giving out free fudge and free pancakes. And the question underneath was, what would you question, would you ask God if he was here right now? A little bit controversial, a little bit rude, but the uni students didn't bat an eyelid at it. But they flocked to it. It was amazing, Lots of, we had so many conversations and what, what the students had, they had five questions lined up on the table where they got their fudge and their pancakes and they had them lined up and they were the five questions, common questions that you'd ask God. Why do bad things happen? Why won't you, pro- why won't you prove yourself? What is the purpose to life? All of these questions and there was little jars and they had to pick one. They got their fudge and then they had to make a, pick, pick one and put a marble in each one of the uh, jars for the question that they would ask God. And we asked them, do you want us to have a crack at an answer? And it was unbelievable. Most people wanted a crack at an answer and there was so many conversations. It was brilliant. It was a great time. Really great gospel opportunities. And on my day that I was there, overwhelmingly, the marvels were in, why do bad things happen? Over the coming two days, uh, what's the purpose to life? Made a bit of a comeback, actually. But the reason people want to know what the purpose for life is, is because life doesn't seem to be working out, because bad things happen. It was a great time, and it just brought to my mind again, that the issue that's even wrestling around today, even with people who are apathetic towards God is, God's either pathetic and impotent, and can't deal with a messed up world, or... He's evil because he can, and look at the world that we're in. He's doing nothing. And so we search for answers. We want to know why. We want to know why God, and sometimes the, the conclusion is drawn, like the modern day atheists and Dawkins and Co., is that God is just an evil despot. And he's not even there, but your God's evil, if he was. And it's why Habakkuk is a great book to read. That's why we should give our time to it over the next three weeks and in our community groups. What are you doing, God? If that's what Habakkuk's addressing, hopefully they don't have to prove to you it's worth spending a bit of time in. We get an answer, but it's not sugar-coated. It's on no Hallmark card. It's not nice and sweet. It's full of substance, it's totally not what you're expecting, it's deeply profound and it's still not fully complete that we have everything resolved in our heads. But what it does, it shows who God is and gives us a way to live in this world, knowing the future and what life's about. It confronts evil and suffering in the world head on. If we take on board uh, this journey with Habakkuk as he goes from despair to joy, and the kids, and um, in community groups, you'll see the video of this being made, that uh, here's the Habakkuk, the story of all of Habakkuk that Amelie's coloured in, the kids are going to do um, in the programs um, uh, over the few weeks. This story here, where Habakkuk goes from here all the way over to here, he travels from despair to joy, and you'll see that um, later. He goes from despair in everything that's around him to a way of engaging with God with joy. If you're not a Christian today and you're wrestling with God, you may be thinking, God can't answer my questions. I want to challenge you two things. Go through all of Habakkuk, not just today. And actually hold what you think intention. Don't dismiss it, but try and look at what God is saying in Habakkuk afresh. And then bring it back to your questions. And for all of us, here is a book that is helping you to wrestle with your pain, your suffering, and the world around us, so we can live for God in the way that He wants us to. So let's get into it. See, Habakkuk starts with a very troubling context. The troubling context of Habakkuk is that the Babylonians are coming. Now, the Babylonians are very important in the, in the, in the story of Habakkuk, or the Chaldeans in some of our Bibles. They're the Babylonians, and they are on the horizon. They're under, under threat, the Israelites. But the picture's a little bit bigger than that. You see, the picture is that Israel, God's people had their good times and their bad times after God made a relationship with them and all of their turmoil is all because they constantly break the covenant that God made with them they keep on rejecting God's ways and they have good times and they kind of flourish uh, with David and Solomon and yet David has done the most despicable out of all of the kings in many ways and then Solomon And Solomon, his son, well, he had way too many wives and concubines. And then king after king, in their line, is just wicked and evil, leading the people to worship other gods. There's hints at times of things being okay, but Israel splits into two kingdoms. It's that bad. This is the context for these people that are God's people, that are supposed to be together worshipping God. They split into two kingdoms. Now, it does get a little bit confusing because... Uh, Israel, all of Israel, becomes the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. They're all Israel, but for this point, Israel is the northern kingdom. And then this mighty, powerful nation, the Assyrians, destroys the northern kingdom. And they'd like to keep going, but the Babylonians destroy them. And after years of wickedness, all the while, of God's people... The Judah, rejecting God and His ways, they have a king who kind of gets it right for a bit, Josiah. Josiah finds God's ways, follows Him, brings the people back to repentance, they start to turn it around, He dies in battle and no sooner is He dead on the floor and His kids bring back the idols and wickedness reigns in Israel. As soon as he dies, and Habakkuk now looks around at the world. This is the context of what's happening to this nation. And let's have a look at that, as Jack is going to be Habakkuk, Habakkuk for us, as he reads reads to us Habakkuk's first issue, where he talks to God.
1: How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen, or cry out to you violence? But you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralysed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted.
0: Habakkuk complains to God. God's ways are being decimated there is violence and justice all around the leaders are corrupt habakkuk knows that the babylons are on the horizon but what he brings to god isn't this wicked nation that's about to destroy them he complains to god look at your people look at them i look at your nation and all i see is violence why are you tolerating the injustice there's violence and injustice everywhere no one's following your ways the law is see verse 4 the law is paralyzed no one's following it and those that are supposed to enforce it aren't enforcing it injustice the leaders are corrupt justice is perverted this is a nation in civil turmoil The leaders are not following or enforcing what they're supposed to, and the wicked are hemming in the righteous. Maybe Habakkuk's kind of putting himself in the righteous category. And I'm hemmed in, God. I'm hemmed in. Look at all the wickedness. Are you there? How long are you going to tolerate your people being so wicked? He's crying out to God. Can you see how much he's crying out? Where is your justice? Where is your holiness? Are you there? I want you to feel the weight of what's going on here. See, Lord, I see your people destroying each other. I see morality. Well, it doesn't exist in your way. It's ignored. Depravity reigns. I see there is power being lorded over everyone. I see that crime pays, forget the idea that crime doesn't pay, the righteous are being put down, crime does pay, you just don't get caught, depravity is all the rage. Do you feel what Habakkuk is going through here? totally different context to us, totally different context to our world and the relationship that God had with His people and the world that we're in now and we see everything through Jesus in which this book makes all of its sense to ruin the story. But we can feel this cry of injustice. The reality is our nation Australia, let's just get a big head for a moment, it's one of the good ones in the world. We're pretty good, there's security and things are going great. Well no, actually we're just better than others. The moment we start to consider our nation, the moment it all starts to crumble. We have an ICAC. They keep on finding corruption. Over and over and over again. I, I did read an article, I don't know how true the advertiser was being, but there has never been more convictions of police in the last uh, few years than there has in, in, the, in the, uh, the past, past of police in SA. How many gambling scandals do we need? And let's call a spade a spade. The South Australian government has, and the department, has completely abandoned our children's safety. We can't call it anything else. It's not a political agenda. It's just the reality that kids, we cry out violence. Kids are facing violence. Yesterday, I was thinking through the talk sitting in a cafe and out in front of the cafe there was someone trying to raise money and I saw over there and it was the Alana and Madeline Foundation. Does anyone know what that foundation is? It's the foundation for keeping children safe from violence. We need that! Kids who were killed at the Port Arthur Massacre. Do you feel... His crying out is actually the world's crying out. If I was to get alongside you and get talking about your workplace, could anyone honestly say, if you work by yourself, maybe you're corrupting yourself, but forgetting that, you don't work by yourself. If you work in a workplace, in a business, in a government agency or whatever it is, can anyone say, wow, there's no corruption at all. Things are going beautifully. There's no dramas whatsoever. I bet if we pulled it apart, we'd see it. And maybe sometimes we've been part of the problem. 3B, destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict, and it abounds. He is on his knees. How he's talking to God, well, that's another story on one level, but he's crying out because of the pain that he's seeing of his people. And he's saying, You're not doing anything, God. Why won't you listen? We want God to answer us. Let's hear God answer this distressed prophet right now.
2: Look at the nation's watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They are a feared and dreadful people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence." Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like the sand. They mock kings, scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps. They capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God.
0: Not exactly this response I imagine Habakkuk was looking for. Habakkuk, you're sick of it. So am I. I know what's going on. I know better than you what's going on. Now look. You want me to show up and fix it? Well, I am. I've always been here and I am dealing with it. Look at the nations and be utterly amazed, was the first words that he says in response. Because God is doing something that you can't even fathom. And it's part of our challenge with dealing with suffering and evil. God's ways are sometimes beyond our infinite minds. His solution blows Habakkuk out of the water and it should kind of jolt us. I am raising up the Babylonians. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. That nation on the horizon that you know is coming, I know what they are like. They pillage, they destroy, they wreak havoc. And it's all about themselves. You see, in in that, uh, uh, what God says, they sweep across the whole earth. They're a law to themselves. They promote their own honor. They're all about themselves. And this is a powerfully wicked, wicked nation. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk they love violence it's kind of it's it's their bread and butter they fly like an eagle swooping to devour they all come intent on violence and they destroy nations that they encounter and mock the kings and scoff at rulers they see a fortified city and they think <laughs> smash and god raises them up And he has a verdict for them as well. Verse 11, there are guilty people whose own strength is their God. They think that their power is the deity, that's why they can plunder because they can do what they want because they've got the power. God's verdict to them of power is mighty is that they're guilty because they think they can take what they want. This was God's answer to Habakkuk. It's confronting. What does
1: Habakkuk have to say in response? Thanks, Joe. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up the more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food is he to keep on emptying his net destroying nations without mercy habakkuk knows
0: god's character he knows that god is holy That God is the appointed one. He even says there He's ordained them to punish, but He kind of throws that in God's face in a way. Are you kidding me? What? What God? Are you? You're holy, but you can't look at evil, and they're evil. He's kind of setting up God's holiness, so He can say, "What you're doing? How does that?" He's completely baffled. Babylon is worse than us. They think their power is God, as we've already seen in what God has said. They treat humans like animals. Did you hear that? They devour nations. That's God's solution to his people. What's Habakkuk going to do? There he is, up on the ramparts, up saying to God, I'm waiting, I'm looking, I'm at the ramparts, I am waiting for you, I want to see what you're going to do about this because I've shown you that there's a bit of a problem. You're holy, they're wicked, sort it out. I'm waiting. We would like to kind of get an answer too, wouldn't we? God's answer changes everything it changes everything and next week jack's going to talk us through we need a whole week to consider god's answer how he does deal with wickedness and how he gives us a way to live by faith that's how the righteous live and jack's going to pull that apart for us next week when he when he talks to us instead of standing on some blocks over there he's going to actually help us see how important it is to go beyond today, to go beyond Habakkuk and to see Habakkuk's pointing us to a greater reason to understand. But before we do that, we need to make sense of today so that we can live, uh, the righteous can live by faith next week. See, if God has any way of dealing with the world, there is something about God that we need to confront head on today, that we get out of this passage. See, the takeaway for us today is that God, there is on the ramparts, God is sovereign. But brothers and sisters, we need to remind ourselves as well, we are not. If you think about our society, if you think about what we do from the moment we uh, start to teach our kids to the moment we we, uh, build them up in all different ways, it's kind of built in our society to keep telling ourselves we are great in every aspect of life. And so we can delude ourselves that we are great, maybe in just a moment, but we can delude ourselves into thinking that we are the great ones. God is sovereign and we need to understand what it means. You see, God's sovereignty, which oozes out of every page of the Bible, is that God knows all. Past, present and future. He knows all. God is behind all. All acts, past, present and future He is behind. Nothing happens accidentally out of His control. Nothing. That is the obvious testimony of Scriptures. We had uh, a reading that Phil uh, helpfully read for us from Psalm 44, which just pointed to uh, a wrestling with what's going on because you're sovereign and in charge, and this is what we're faced with. That's what the Psalms keep on saying, and and the refrain of the Psalms, praise God because you are sovereign, that you are Lord of all. And he knows everything under the heavens. Psalm 69. Let me just point Psalm 69 out to you. Verse 5. Psalm 69 verse 5. You God know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. His sovereignty extends into your heart and mind. His sovereignty knows everything that you've thought, felt, done, haven't done. Nothing happens accidentally out of his control. That is crucial to understanding our God. But confronting it is actually essential and heart, because what are the implications? It's not God's in control of the good, God is sovereign over all. It's not that God sees what happens and then responds, oh look at that evil, I better do something about that and I can. It's not that God looks into the future, okay, kind of jumps into the future and says, okay, what's happening here? That's horrendous. I'll go back now and deal with it now so I, and he can be sovereign. No, God is actually in control of all things. Those two ways of looking at the world, sometimes what Christianity has done to resolve the tension of suffering and evil, but at the sacrifice of God and who he is. We need to realize that God's relationship to suffering and evil is that He is not to blame. Human responsibility fits in under God's sovereignty. (laughs) What did He say to the Babylonians? You are guilty. That's their verdict. The Israelites are guilty. In the New Testament, we know that all of humanity has fallen short of the glory of God. That's our responsibility. But we also need to realise that God's sovereignty also means that He is behind all things and that has to include even evil. He's not to blame for it, but He's sovereign over everything. We see, he, he brings about his good purposes in everything. You know, remember the story of Joseph, one of the, one of the brothers of, of Jacob? What happens? His brothers did great wickedness to him, sold him into slavery. And how does that story end? What does, they're, they're freaked out when they meet Joseph and see how successful he's been in Egypt. And what does, they think, oh no, we're in big trouble here. And how does Joseph respond? Crucial, what Joseph says understanding God what you intended for evil God has used for good go back and read the end of it of Genesis and see that drama take place we can't get past we go back and we heard from God it's not that the the Babylonians were raised up it's the fact that God said I am raising up the Babylonians the Babylonians had no idea. They were wicked idolaters who prefer violence. They thought God was their power. They had no time for Yahweh. And God was behind them. Babylon, we see, it becomes kind of the the example of all the nations that are in rebellion against God. They're kind of like the the pattern that gets played out over and over. And God's judgment on them is absolute and swift I don't know how you feel about that but I'd much rather have God in control of everything than have things that he's not in control of how do I know he won't be taken down then how do I know that he could save me if he's not completely in control God's sovereignty should be mysterious on that level. He is God. He has made all things. How long do you exist for? You are a limited person. I am a limited person. We are here for an infinitesimal moment. If we could understand the mysteries of how God works in all its depths beyond what he's revealed to us, I suspect our God is not God. It gives me actually confidence to know that I can't know all about God because of who He is and the limitedness of nature of who I am. We need to realize we are not sovereign, and God is. Secondly, we accept, which is what I've been getting towards already, accept He knows when we don't. I have a plan Habakkuk, okay? You're crying out, kind of a little bit passive-aggressive towards me, let's be honest, you're kind of not just saying, just wrestling with me as the the Psalms do helpfully, but God has a plan, He's revealed to us this plan, but we don't understand it on the level that He does. God knows what is going on. There are so many things that don't make sense. He says, remember what he says uh, right at the beginning to Habakkuk? Look and be utterly amazed. This is not going to make sense to you. No one could possibly determine without me revealing it to you. My way of dealing with my people is to get a worse people and destroy them. To bring judgment on them. You, You couldn't understand that. Is there something greater that makes no sense whatsoever to this world? Something greater that we should look at and be utterly amazed and then unless God told us, it just seems absurd. Sometimes when you tell people about Jesus, they look at you like you're from another planet because it seems ridiculous. Is there anything more utterly amazing than a man 2,000 years ago sent by God, who is God, who lives a perfect life amongst his people, says his kingdom's coming and his people cry out, crucify him. The greatest injustice of all time where his people cry out, crucify him, the ruling nation, the Babylon of the day, Rome, hands him over... And this is where justice and judgment and grace and mercy is found to make sense. Where life comes. Look and be utterly amazed. God saves the world and the world thought it was foolishness. That's what Paul said to the Corinthians in uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me read that to you. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders or things are yours, whether Paul or, or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or the present or the, or the future. All yours... All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. The wisdom of the world is foolishness, and what they think is foolishness, you are supposed to think is wise, because Christ is the one you follow. The Christ is of God. God is working out His purposes. Jesus is the solution. In profoundly deep ways. You know, how sometimes we can feel like you come to church, and Jesus is just the answer to everything, and it's just the same old, same old. Yes, it is. But the profound, the profundity of the, the profoundness of what He has done, is what we see when we deal with Habakkuk. But what God is doing is far more amazing than just an answer, oh yeah, Jesus died for me and I'm saved. He has dealt with evil and suffering at the cross. He conquers it through his death and resurrection. So how do we finish? Well, you do have a choice. You can still blame God. You can jump into the Dawkins mindset of what a wicked God he is. He sent his son to die on a cross. What a child abuser. You could go that way. Or whatever way you want to make it out to be. Or you could see that God the Father sent His Son and the Son willingly went to the cross for us to give us life. You could start to wrestle with the idea that we don't have all the answers and nor should we, but God reveals to us Himself. He shows us His love with Jesus on the cross. He says He is sovereign. He knows how to fix the world. Jesus has the power to deal with it. And that the corruption that you feel all around you, that you felt maybe when we wrestled with it today, you need to confront in yourself. Our turning away from God. You see, today... You can accept that God is sovereign. Fall down on your knees, not with, Why God, why? But fall down on your knees and say, Great are you, Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We give you thanks... That you are sovereign it's hard for us to grapple with habakkuk is really confronting but you can make sense of the world you can give us a way to live help us to trust in you help us to see that What doesn't make sense to the world makes complete sense in your son. Father, Habakkuk in many ways is about preparing us for times when we're challenged. When we're challenged to see that you are good. Help us to see you once again. Help us to see your son at the cross. Help us to see all things are in your hands all things you are in control of we praise your name help us to continue to wrestle uh, with you over the coming uh, couple of weeks as we seek to travel with habakkuk from despair to joy father we can do this because we have the privilege of being on this side of the cross We can do it with greater clarity, knowing that salvation comes in Jesus. Amen.